And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and science can just peacefully. This was our finest. Folks, this is Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. Okay, guys, so this episode, we're going to talk about life or human life in space. As you guys maybe remember, a few things can live in space, like mold and troll delights or something like that. <laughs> tardigrades. Tardigrades. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't super live in space. They can survive in outer space for a little bit of time and then have to be kind of like resuscitated you know i was rereading some herodotus and i think tardigrades were like a group of persian warriors oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. who had like hard hard shells <laughs> <laughs> deflected greek spears the problem is that our knowledge over the years has become more specialized so it's harder for me to tell when you're lying but i'm pretty <laughs> sure you're lying i mean i know you're always <laughs> lying this pod is actually my alt-right way of revealing all the miscellaneous scientific <laughs> falsehoods that undergird our civilization. About all of us science bitches. So, this episode we're going to talk about humans in space. Why are we not currently in space right now? Or even, I guess let's, let's actually deconstruct that question. Sean, why is space a good idea or why is it a bad idea? Are we definitely going to space or is that a bunch of Hollywood nonsense, yellow stream media... Are we going to go to space? Fair question. They keep putting out space movies, right? Ad Astra, The Martian. Human beings keep wanting to go out into space. This shit keeps coming up, okay? And, you know, we have put satellites out there. We're sending people up to the International Space Station all the time. There's a lot of countries that have these new plans to go to the moon and everything because uh, they want to put their people on the moon, too. But there are some other people who bring up concerns about all of this sort of space exploration. For example, it typically costs a lot of money to send stuff into space. It usually burns a lot of fuel to send stuff up into space. Uh, and, hypothetically, the more and more stuff you put up into outer space, especially beyond Earth's orbit, that's like material that's probably never going to come back to Earth. So, like, eventually, you know, we're just going to keep putting stuff out there that's never going to come back. And this is, like, a little bit of a spoiler for the rest of the episode, but space kind of sucks dick to live in, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah. Mean, that's a, that kind of yeah. a big part of it. Yeah, it's not a lot of fun. And so, that, yeah. That undergrids the reasons it's expensive, is that space sucks ass, right? Yeah. Also, gravity is one of the reasons why it's so expensive. Another space movie? <laughs> yeah, there you go. But, so why would we do space? Right. I think that there are some pretty big prevalent arguments on this side. One of them is just purely for the scientific purposes. It's been eyeing science. Yeah, exactly. There is some basic fundamental science that we can learn about the formation of our universe, how, cosmologically speaking, things were formed, even information about things like comets and asteroids that might someday be heading towards the Earth or something that we want to do something about. Like the movie Armageddon. So I think that there's a lot of these kind of scientific reasons, including aliens. You know, I was just watching kind of an interesting video about the rare earth theory and kind of about Fermi's paradox in general. Yeah. I buy it. I don't think there's other aliens out there that are smart. I think this is oh. like a bunch of like little, little eukaryotes. 
it was kind of interesting because one of the things he was talking about is something that we've talked about before. I was watching the PBS Space Time series. One of the things he was talking about is how, like, the step of eukaryotic cells, like, gobbling up mitochondria. Yeah. And, I mean, thus becoming a eukaryotic cell. Yeah. Might very well be, like, this giant roadblock to, like, organized or, like, multicellular life starting to emerge around other places. Chami, what do you feel about that? I mean, because I remember we argued about this about 10 years ago, where I was like, there's deaf aliens out there. And you're like, there's definitely not. The math doesn't bear out. Well, I mean, yeah, so we're talking about smart guy aliens? So smarty yeah, boys? Or yeah. any kind of life out there? Not not any kind of life. I mean, there's probably some dingbat in Europa, right? Like, we're talking <laughs> sexy life. Yeah, uh, so I think one of the things is that intelligence in the sort of human scheme of things where we like we kind of offload a lot of work onto inanimate objects like we build a lot of shit right? right i think that that kind of intelligence is not inevitable in mm. evolution sure yeah right? so because there's so many different ways for evolution to go i don't think there's any reason why intelligence has to arise sure i mean we can barely even agree what intelligence is on shit on earth uh, yeah, that's for sure, and yeah. we can barely agree if people are all that intelligent sometimes. <laughs> so, so I'm not so sure if there are aliens out there, but going out into space would be one of the ways to try to find if there is life on any of these It is logically a little closer. Yeah. Yeah. But science isn't the only reason, right? Technology. Okay. NASA has made a bunch of technology out of sort of the necessity for all these different things that they need to have happen with space travel. And that's resulted in consumer products now, like memory foam that people are sleeping on. And CMOS image sensors, which are the kinds of image sensors that are in your phone cameras. You know, like lenses that are really, really small so that you can take pictures with them with your phone. Improved car tires, Bowflex. Bowflex workout technology was originally for astronauts to be able to work out in outer space to try to prevent muscle and bone loss. Hmm. Correction technology for GPSs, firefighting equipment, just a bunch of shit. This always drove me really nuts, right? Because I know this girl who, like, kind of doesn't think the moon landing happened. <laughs> which, I mean, you laugh, but I know you've met people who kind of, like, don't believe in the moon landing. Sure. Who, like, think that rockets just hit the sphere that's above us or something. And, and it drives me nuts because, you know, while she says this, she's also, like, has a phone in her hand. And it's like, how the fuck do you think your phone knows where you are, <laughs> right? Like, how do you think Google is listening to you currently? Like, it's not like a magic. Yeah. You know, I mean, she loves Harry Potter, so it's probably it's not like fucking Slytherin, like, <laughs> wanted your fucking, a fucking brick into life and your phone is alive now. I mean, and of course, people who don't believe in the moon landing will still be like, oh, well, of course, satellites are real. But the moon landing is preposterous. Well, it's fascinating. You know, at the intersection of conspiracy theories, flat earthers do not believe in the moon landing. Right, of course. And also don't believe in satellites. There you go. So, <laughs> but that's all kind of hard to put together. So this is not a flat earther episode. So lots of technology. Also, space, hypothetically, is very resource rich. Right. Hypothetically, there should be a lot of resources in outer space. Cool. There's like basically infinite resources in outer space, in theory, right? Right, kind of depending on how far out you go. But here's the thing, is that during the formation of the Earth, there's a lot of kinds of elements that are kind of attracted to iron. And because of that, they sunk deep into our mantle and our core. And so actually, the crust of the Earth, where we live, is relatively resource poor. Just dog shit. 
I mean, you know, we've done fine with it, but in comparison to the percentage of the Earth that is these rarer metals, the crust is actually relatively resource poor. But that's not the same on, like, asteroids. There's lots of asteroids that, because there's not really a molten core to them, they're just compositionally very resource rich right? with these metals. And a lot of these rarer metals are the kinds of stuff that we need to use in our computer chips and in our phones and stuff like that. So rare earth metals that might be mined right now in China, for example, and there's only a few locations on earth that have a lot of them, but asteroids have a shitload of them. Trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars worth. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so if we wanted to have kind of a capitalist argument out there for those capitalist pigs, then it would be, let's mine some asteroids. I see that you also got helium-3 on here for fusion power. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, helium-3 and hydrogen, deuterium. There, there, there's a lot of fusion fuels that are out there in outer space that are actually very rare on Earth. Besides resources, also, a lot of people will bring up the argument, uh, especially in light of climate change, that we should probably diversify our situation. Right. Because right now... Maybe there's a ticking clock on, on this whole Earth thing. Yeah, or even if we turn the Earth around, it'll be a sign that, like, maybe we should have more than one thing going on in case something fucks something up. Uh, uh, and then lastly, it th is the final frontier. This is actually, I think, the only reason, and everything else is rationalizations of this reason. <laughs> so let, let's jump into this. Yeah, it's it's the final frontier, you know? I mean, Star Trek. People have wanderlust. They want to explore stuff. They want to push it to the limit, Fast and the Furious style. Okay. Overdrive. Calm down. Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yand is strong. <laughs> <laughs> and... For some people, that means wanting to go out there and homestead it, right? Like, be away from other folks. Yeah. And for other people, it's about really seeing how far humanity can go and expand outward. I've also heard an interesting moral argument about space expansion. Yeah. Which is that there's a term space colonization. Right. But some people dislike that term because they say in contrast to normal colonization, there are not indigenous humans that we are displacing and killing, and stuff like that. Well, I mean, we kind of, like, don't entirely know that yet. I mean, humans... Is there right. are no indigenous humans. Right, but there might be indigenous <laughs> life forms, right? Like, yeah, we'll see. Fuck them. The other thing is that, like, there was a certain point when we were, like, in Africa, and we, like, spread across Eurasia. And sure. at that point, there was no other indigenous humans. There were, like, Neanderthal and stuff like that, and, like, we fucked those dudes. But then, like, so we spread... And then, like, you know, a few over hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of years, then people came back and did the whole imperialism and colonization thing, killed off the indigenous people, because the people had by then become indigenous, right? I yeah. mean, I think what would happen with space, logically, is that you'd send some folks to Mars, and if Earth doesn't ass blast or Mars doesn't ass blast, you'll have some people in Mars, and then in a hundred years, we're going to go invade Mars <laughs> and fucking ass blast those people you don't know which direction it's gonna go mars might invade us yeah i don't think so though man like i don't know yeah. i mean again we're kind of preempting the segment but like it sounds like living on mars is gonna be awful and they're probably gonna be frail and die young and of course i guess maybe sometimes that means they're gonna like be angrier right like they're gonna have the will to power they're gonna be like yeah. fuck i want to live on earth <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? it's entirely possible so all of this is to say that i do think that there, at the very least, whether you agree with it or not, there's definitely some people who really want to get into outer space. And 
The reality is, you know, we've been doing experiments and we're starting to get an understanding of what the effects of being in outer space are on the human body. And so, you know, kind of the bulk of this episode is going to be what are those kinds of effects when we go into outer space? And then where are some of the places that we might be going in the relatively near future? So yeah, let's let's get into that stuff. We're back on Petri Dish. Now, this is going to sound mundane, but humans evolved on Earth rather than in space, unless we got dumped here by asteroids. Oh, okay. Yeah, but barring that one, like, 33% chance, possibly, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of situation, we evolved on Earth and thus have evolved within Earth's atmosphere, with Earth's gravity. How does that impact our ability to go into space? Yeah, so the longest that human beings have been out there in outer space, so the longest that we know about the effects for, has been around 14 months that some some Ruskies were floating around up there. I mean, and they're from the north anyway. Yeah. So it's like basically space. Yes, north is up. Yes. And therefore... (laughs) um, Right now, when people are on the International Space Station, a normal sort of shift is six months that they hang out there. And the thing about those numbers is that if we wanted to make a round trip to Mars and back and everything, pretty much the shortest you could possibly do it is eight months. But a more common length of time for those kinds of missions is more like 15 months or up to 35 months. What, do you just have to do a layover in the asteroid belt or something? Like, what's going on here? Because Mars and Earth are both orbiting around the sun, there's some time periods in the year where Mars is closer or further away. That's right? cool. So in some of these cases, the idea is to have your transit time from Earth to Mars and back be as short as possible. But that means that once you land on Mars, you need to wait there for a while mm. until it comes back around to be close to Earth. Dude, that sucks. (laughs) So in one of these things, it would be 270 days to get there, 270 days to get back, but 500 days on the surface of Mars. Interesting. The point is, those Mars trips are all longer than we've ever been in outer space. Right. And most of the time that we're in outer space, we're actually in low Earth orbit, like on the space station or these Russians that were kind of floating around in orbit around the Earth. Low Earth orbit is a microgravity situation, so we're very low gravity, but we're within the sort of magnetic protection of the Earth from cosmic rays and radiation and stuff. So people on the space station, they get elevated radiation compared to the surface, but not as much radiation as you'd get en route to Mars or on the Martian surface. So there's a lot that we still don't know about how messed up you could get on that long of a trip to and from Mars. We're just going to have to do it. But so what are some of the things that could get messed up? Yes. One of the first things is uh, your bones and your muscles. In low gravity, you lose a lot of bone mass and muscle mass because uh, you don't have the effects of gravity pulling down on your body the whole time. Right. Like just resisting gravity is a big part of what makes those things kind of strong. Yeah. So when they did a month-long study with mice... And this sort of machine that put them into a microgravity situation, uh, they lost their muscle mass and bone density. But if they kind of kept them at an artificial 1G type situation, then they, they were able to keep that drop from happening. 
that same study also put them into a hypergravity situation. Yeah. Like two times Earth's gravity. Yeah. And they got like buff. Okay. Like Goku in Dragon Ball Z style. Right. Yeah. Right. I a, see that in the notes. Yeah. He has oh. a hyperbolic time chamber. He got yeah. like super ripped from being at. Like Sean actually writes in a Goku reference in every show notes. We just never yeah. use it. We never we just, use it. We never it. use it. But this time, motherfuckers. This time makes sense. All right. So, <laughs> wait, wait, real quick, um, how do you make a hypergravity situation? You know those spinny carnival rides? Yeah. It's like it's like that. Yeah, there weren't a lot of like kind of sixties designed for spacecraft. Would usually involve that kind of rotating disc. Like I know that yes. was the case in two thousand one Space Odyssey. Yeah. So that has not stopped. People still think that that's a good idea. For the future, one of the issues is that spinning the disc really fast is not only hard to pull off, but also means that it needs to be really well balanced all over the place. Otherwise, it can kind of go off kilter and wobble. That would be pretty rough. Yeah, it could tear a ship apart. Right. And so the counter to that is, okay, you don't need to spin it as fast if it's bigger. So the bigger that ring is, the slower it can spin, but... The more material you need, the heavier it is, the harder it is to send it into outer space. So a lot of people think that what we need to do first is build sort of a space station. Right. Where we can construct a ship that big. Right. This is what you see in like all sorts of movies. Right. Yes. And also, I mean, we're going to get to it in a little bit, but this is also NASA's plan. Yeah. Can't you also rotate disks to distort space time and create little mini wormholes? Wasn't that the, like the Albacore warp drive? The Al-Kabiri? Oh, you're talking Star trek kind of stuff. Well, I mean, like, isn't the history of that idea was that you had Star Trek, and then the guy saw Star Trek and was like, cool, I wonder how you could do that. And then you made, like, a theoretical proposition of how you could warp space-time. Oh, with the space-time bubble. Yeah, so I have no idea how that's actually supposed to work. Uh, it also doesn't quite exist yet. <laughs> Maybe that's a little speculative. <laughs> We're probably just going to have like solar wings first, right? Or something? Yeah, solar sails are pretty cool. I um, like their wings. <laughs> uh, so My brand company is called Solar Wings. Solar sails are an interesting thing because the idea with solar sails is you have a super, super thin material that particles from the sun will kind of hit the, the solar wind, so to speak, right? And then it'll kind of generate momentum that you'll slowly accelerate but eventually accelerate up to be very fast and you don't need any fuel right fuels so the big lag on space travel in practical terms yeah that and kind of how long everything takes so like you know and like everyone being like emaciated and fucked up by the time they get anywhere yeah but the the thing about solar sails is to make material that consistently thin it would actually be much easier to make that in outer space so again it'd be nice to have a space station but in any case so we have had astronauts in outer space, and what we see with those people is that they lose about 1% to 2.5% of their bone mass every month that they're in low gravity. Okay, so if you're in for 100 months, you lose 100% of bone. <laughs> I think... <laughs> he uh, has no bone. So, so what, what I seem to recall is that it kind, of, it kind of reaches a maximum and levels off. And I see that, like, post-marsupial women? <laughs> Menopausal, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So women that are post-menopausal, a lot of times they suffer osteoporosis. So, mm. the, so they also lose bone density. That's just a natural thing that uh, happens for a lot of women right. that are post-menopausal. And when you compare sort of uh, a post-menopausal woman to how much these astronauts are losing, they lose in a month about what a postmenopausal woman loses in a year. Right, and I see in your notes that we haven't sent a postmenopausal woman into space. 
So we don't yeah, know what that would be not, like. Not to my knowledge, but there is some evidence to suggest that men and women might see different amounts of muscle and bone loss in right. space. Okay. And compared to just bone loss, you can also lose joint strength. And so joint strength involves like really specific bone loss, but also muscle strength loss right. and the loss of strength in like kind of ligaments and tendons. And for that, there's a really high variability. Some dudes lost almost no joint strength when they were looking at hip joints. Yeah. And then some dudes lost up to 50% of their hip joint strength. Damn. Yeah. And I'm seeing here that recovery, maybe you recover, maybe you don't. Even if you do, it's going to take like years to recover. Yeah, yeah. Your bone loss might come back to close to normal after two years, but might not ever reach 100% recovered. And it's pretty hard for exercise to really prevent this. Yeah, so on the bone loss side, there's kind of been this idea, especially because of how the bone and muscle loss works. The muscles and bones that you seem to lose a lot of mass in are like legs. Right. And uh, you lose a lot of muscle mass in your core, mostly because those are areas involved in walking. And we, we just do walking and standing a shitload when there's gravity. And you don't almost do any of it in space, right? So like those parts kind of atrophy. Right. right. And so they were like, okay, what if you just like fucking work out, bro? You know, this is like to give it some effort, do some resistance training. So they did things like they invented Bowflex and stuff like that. And they had these kind of goofy treadmills to try to have people run on and everything. And those all failed until basically they came up with a new exercise machine that you could basically use a shitload more weights on. So it was like a really heavy resistance machine. And with that, that did help with some of the bone loss. Okay, that you could cool. actually make it so that ultimately it seemed like there wasn't any change in bone density. Okay. When they looked at people's sort of like blood and urine and everything, it seemed like there was increased bone loss compared to being at regular gravity. So you were still seeing more bone loss, but you had way more bone regrowth. So that's why you were able to kind of balance it out. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, so the exercise regimen can help with the bone loss. But the muscle mass that people have been losing, 5 to 25% of their muscle mass, especially in their legs, exercise does not seem to be helping with that. Okay. So even that exercise regimen that helped with the bones wasn't really helping with the muscles. So these are perhaps surmountable problems. Although if you figured out gravity, that would be like really useful. Yeah, I think a lot of people want the artificial gravity aspect right. to be... Kind of the thing that will make everything work out. Right. There, there's a lot of engineering challenges and cost challenges, but that seems almost like the simplest solution. Right. That still has the possibility of working out. I think one thing that's really interesting, one question that's like not at all settled, is these astronauts in low Earth orbit have microgravity. It's very, very little gravity. Mm -hmm. And on Earth, we have 1G gravity. What happens if there's just no gravity whatsoever, which would be the case as you're flying through space? Yeah, well, so that's probably relatively similar to the microgravity. Mm -hmm. What I'm curious about is what, what happens if it's at moon or Mars level gravity. Okay. Which is more than what you get on the space station. Right. Is that enough gravity to make it so you don't lose as much bone or muscle? Right. So it's not clear at these like sort of middle areas of gravity whether or not this problem even exists anymore. Or like, are people still going to have to lift weights on Mars to keep from losing bone mass or what? Right. And so to fight the monsters. Well, I yeah. Mean, you probably had to work out for a couple reasons. There was that movie slash old story, John Carter, right? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, where the dude was like, he was an earthling, but he got brought to Mars, and because it's lower gravity, he was like super powerful. I'm impressed you remembered that. 
That probably faded from most folks' (laughs) cultural consciousness by now. Yeah, but one of the things is our astronauts on the trip over to Mars might become so depleted. Right. That there's actually been some questions of, okay, if we're not careful, it's possible that the trip is so long that by the time they get to Mars, they can't even use their controls on re-entry. Right. So they might just die on re-entry because they can't like physically just like pull joysticks or whatever the fuck. Right. So we got to watch out for that. Yeah. Another thing that starts sucking in low gravity is your immune system. Why would that matter? Why would your immune system matter? No. Why would gravity... I mean, I, I figured out that the immune system matters. <laughs> but but, but why, why does the gravity affect Yeah. It? So it's not totally clear why cells care if there's gravity or not there are some kinds of cells out there in the world that have gravity sensing mostly plants with their roots right but as far as we can tell there's not like an organelle in our bodies that like super gives a shit about gravity but for some reason many many cells in our body show issues with dividing when there's low gravity Mm. so the dividing of cells to make new cells is called proliferation and cell proliferation goes down for many kinds of cells in low gravity. Interesting. And because immune cells are a cell population where you're like kind of always cycling through and you're making new ones, the kinds of immune cells you have, the kind of percentages change a lot in low gravity. So we kind of really just need to figure out gravity. It'd be nice. Or else this trip is like maybe just a bad idea. Right? Yeah, well, so it'll be interesting to see how big of an issue this is, but... One thing that's definitely for sure is when astronauts on trips on like the International Space Station or once they come back, they definitely have compromised immune systems. And you can see that from things like latent viruses, like Epstein-Barr, for yes. example. Yeah. They reactivate in their bodies. And so they'll get like an infection and stuff like that. And they don't really have as strong an immune system to fight that off. Okay. Is that just because of gravity or is it one of those things also where we're constantly bombarded by all sorts of viruses and bacteria and and when you're in space, it's a much more controlled, sterile environment? No babies are coughing at you at the cafe and so you're exposed to less diseases? Well, but they're getting sick in space. Right. Okay. Okay. From viruses that have been integrated inside us. Right. Exactly. That's pretty cool. There's a virus inside you (laughs) right now. Yeah. Inside all of us, really. Epstein Barr. (laughs) Epstein Barr is like 90% of us. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I think part of this can also be that microgravity and being in space in general is physiologically stressful. And one thing that's definitely for sure is a lot of these viruses can activate under physiological stress. It's one of the reasons why, like, you know, like cold sores on the inside of your lip and yeah. stuff like that. A lot of those sores will happen during times where you're stressed. Right. You haven't been getting good sleep and everything. That's like life in outer space all the time. Wow. Because they're stressed. It's a stressful situation to be in. I thought you were like flown and listening to music. <laughs> like that. What's that lame song that's always played when we're watching people flow in space? Yeah. 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 Danube balls. Yep. Yeah. It always looks so relaxing as if waltzing on the Danube, right? I thought you were going to talk about Space Oddity, because that one astronaut played it on the guitar. That song's about... Dying in space? Yeah, him dying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a funny choice. Okay, so basically gravity is going to like be pretty problematic for human bodies. Really, really, really preferably, we just kind of figure out gravity. One of the other things that is easy to forget, especially if you don't like entirely believe the Earth is round, is that we have an atmosphere. Yeah. That does some things. What does that do to help humans? A lot of the answer to that is involving radiation, but let's take a break and then get into it. My name is Jimmy Coconuts, and I'm here to talk to you about the quixotic presidential run of Michael Bloomberg. (gasps) He's an unelectable schmuck who combines every 
wants war stereotypes about liberals and conservatives, frisking minorities and mass surveilling Muslim citizens while trying to tax your trans fats, no. your salt, no. your soda. No. It's a slippery slope to nanny state authoritarianism, and you know what that means. No, no. more coconuts! Coconut taxes! <gasps> coconut surveillance! No. A wholesale ban on all coconuts! coconuts! Think about what that means! With our huge coconuts at 100% off Yay. and all coconuts banned, no. that means zero, zero coconuts! So contact the Bloomberg campaign today and tell them to keep their man out of our election! and their hands off our coconuts! Okay guys, we're back with Petri Dish. We're talking space and we're talking space radiation now. Why is space radioactive compared to Earth, Sean? Yeah, okay, so it's not. <laughs> you lied to me. <laughs> you made me look like a fool. <laughs> it's just in space there are fewer things for radioactive particles to crash into. Okay, so in our atmosphere, our atmosphere just has a bunch of gas molecules hanging around. And above our atmosphere, the Earth is emitting this magnetic field, okay, because of our core. And this magnetic field, a lot of these particles that are whizzing around are charged. The magnetic field actually captures them and keeps them from even hitting the Earth. So there's lots of different kinds of magnets mm. out there. Okay. Okay, there are things that are just intrinsically magnetic on kind of the atomic level. Like Sean. Like Particle Sean. <laughs> certain configurations of iron, for example. Right, sure. Okay. But there are also things that are magnetic because there's charge moving. And so that's what happens with electromagnets, is that you have electrons moving around in a certain way that creates a magnetic field. And the Earth has a core. A lot of it is iron, but also it's moving. Right. And that movement around also creates sort of this magnetic field that's out around the world. That's why we have a North Pole and a South Pole. Whereas planets that don't have a moving core don't have a magnetic field. Yeah, or have an extremely weak one. Right. And so the Earth has a pretty robust magnetic field. It's strong. And it creates sort of this like wave. You can imagine the field as sort of these waves around the Earth that help protect us from charged particles. And those waves are actually called the Van Allen belts. Cool. Yeah. Named after our Nazi cousin. <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that that means is that if you have galactic cosmic rays or some kind of shit yeah. coming in towards the Earth, most of them are just going to get diverted into these belts around the Earth and never actually even hit our atmosphere. So if like you're leaving the atmosphere and you go into space, is there one part that if you just stood there, you get like all the cosmic rays? Yeah. Oh, that's, yes. that's rough banana. The, the Van Allen belts are actually pretty enriched for these kinds of particles. And things that are leaving the Earth's sort of orbit will pass through Van Allen belts. Enriched is a pretty rich name for that, right? Like, it's more like in-fucked, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking Van Allen, dude. <laughs> so, so, like, do you have to pass through to get to the International Space Station? I'm pretty sure that the ISS, for the most part, is under the Van Allen belts. When you say for the most part, does that mean there's, like, one tip of it that's, like, right in there, and then well, that's where we put the Russian cosmonauts? So the Van Allen belts are relatively stable because our poles are relatively stable. Right. But ISIS 
All right, not ISIS. <laughs> Bag. Is, is <laughs> the Ter- International Space Station. Terrorists in space. <laughs> the ISS. Um, oh, no, it's Space Baghdadi. <laughs> oh, he's dead now, though. The ISS does orbit the Earth. Mm. And so there's, as far as I understand, there's some points in its orbit where it kind of brushes into a Van Allen belt. Is that just like a bad weekend for the astronauts? So I think that they have to, or they're supposed to try to stay in areas that are more shielded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. But I will say, if we are doing trips to the moon, or if we are doing trips to Mars, we're going to be out there outside of the Earth's magnetic field. Right. We're going to have to figure out how to deal with this shit. Right. Because the thing about some of those cosmic rays that get shot off by, like, ass quasars is, like, they're going beep, 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 right? They got, like, super high frequency, right? So they just, like, zip through most shit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the frequency, a lot of that is kind of related to the energy how energetic the particle is right so high frequency yeah they got a lot of energy i mean they're literally like really high energy (laughs) (laughs) yeah one other cool thing i'll say about the van allen belts before we move on is that they sort of had a sensor satellite that they shot up into one of the van allen belts and it found that it was enriched with antimatter that's cool um that there was more antimatter in the van allen belt then there is antimatter just floating out in outer space, and definitely more than there is on Earth. Well, we're going to need that for our warp drives. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. And the reason why there's antimatter there is because sometimes there are some of these cosmic radiation particles that make it through the Van Allen belt and hit our atmosphere. Mm. And when it hits our atmosphere, there's kind of this like really intense atomic fusion and explosion that happens, <laughs> yeah. right? And that explosion will send off antimatter, that then gets trapped in the Van Allen belt. That's pretty cool. That's a wish that's come true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that awesome. Okay, so I think when people are thinking about outer space, especially if they are a little bit older and they grew up with like the Fantastic Four or like the Hulk or some shit, right. might be thinking about like gamma rays and x-rays and shit like that. Gamma rays and x-rays are real things, but they are not the biggest risks in outer space. I'm seeing just, like, normal, boring-ass protons. Right. So the thing about X-rays and gamma rays is both of them are photons, or light particles, right? Technically, they don't have mass, but they are able to impart momentum. But the point is that they are much... How can something have no mass but impart momentum? Yeah, this is the... I'm just kidding. We don't want to talk about this. (laughs) Fuck quantum physics. Yeah, seriously. Guys are just a bunch of wizards in funny hats. Actually, they're wizards without even the funny hats. I know, they're just running around hatless. Yeah. What's wrong with them? So, x-rays especially, we are able to develop shielding that's pretty good at stopping them. Gamma rays, we need to do a little bit more work. But, really, the things that are much more concerned to us are called solar energetic particles... And galactic cosmic rays. Cool. And solar energetic particles are particles that are coming from the sun. Galactic cosmic rays are particles that are coming from somewhere in the Milky Way. And they just got zipped on over to us, usually from the gravity wells of dead stars. Cool. And so, you know, we have these little guys flying. And as you said, these aren't photons. These are things... That can be as small as protons, which are kind of in the nuclei of atoms, but they can be bigger atoms than that. They don't have to be like hydrogen atoms. They can be like uranium atoms. Right. Which are way fucking bigger. She's just getting like fucking smashed by a uranium atom. Part of the problem, so the ones that are like uranium and stuff like that are called HZE particles. Right. And uh, the HZE particles are moving at close to the speed of light. Sure. And they're fucking big. 
Okay. So as opposed to light, we're talking like a baseball or a volleyball. (laughs) No, no. I mean, it's still an atom. Yeah, it is still an atom. But like an atom that big flipping through you, it's going to break up some cells. Yeah, it's an atom that's big enough to be like a sizable fraction of a protein in your cell. Mm. Um, And there's actually pretty cool pictures out there where they took cells and they shot sort of these kind of like galactic cosmic rays at the cells. And you can actually see the streaking pattern of those atoms just like ramming through the cell. Right. It leaves like a streak of cell that's just like blown apart. That's bad. Yeah, it seems not great. It seems not great. And one of the issues here is that, first of all, our shielding is not thick enough to stop these particles. Right. So they don't stop at all. They go straight through the shielding. They go straight through spacesuits, straight through our skin, and then probably straight through our bodies and then continue on afterward. Right. They're um, kind of doing their thing. Yeah. They're going to find out where the universe goes. And so the thing is, you know, we can probably make shielding that will stop these HZE guys. Yeah. But we need to make sure it's thick enough because if we just make shielding that's thick enough to stop the HZE... What happens is the HZE hits the shielding and does the same thing that it does in the atmosphere. Oh, which cool. is it will hit something, cause a little tiny, tiny, tiny explosion, and it'll make antimatter and gamma rays. That's metal. And then we need to have enough shielding to stop those things. So all of this is to say we could have just really fucking thick walls. Okay? Really thick walls would do the trick, but they're heavy. Right. And every extra pound that we try to send up into space... Is like, I don't know, like fucking $20,000. So, so like, this is, space travel's a pretty bad idea. <laughs> is what I'm kind of getting out of this one. Or if we're going to do it, we need a space station so that we can build fucking thick-ass walls. Right. Is kind of the idea there. One of the things I'll say is that we have a lot of information on what X-rays and gamma rays do to you. And maybe like protons and stuff like that as radiation. Yeah, and just kind of radiation in general also. Like, you know, thanks to... Fukushima, we right. have a pretty good sense and of like that Chernobyl as well. And like Chernobyl and stuff like yeah. that, right? So we know, we know what acute radiation poisoning can do. Dr. But Manhattan. I will say that that acute radiation is not HZE particles. Mm. We don't know what HZE particles do to you, really. Sure. It seems bad, but we're not entirely sure what dosage is going to kill you, what dosage is going to give you cancer, etc., etc. It's really hard to do those experiments. Some of this radiation poisoning stuff we only found out because of Chernobyl and shit like that. So, right, right. <laughs> like, you know, we haven't um, like really figured out a rigorous, double-blind clinical study for Chernobyl. Right. Just kind of like, did Chernobyl. Yeah. yeah. So certainly one thing we do know is that enough radiation will definitely kill you. Right, yeah. Very quickly. Yes. And then less radiation than that will kill you over the course of a couple of weeks. Okay. And then less radiation than that will kill you because of cancer. But you can also develop neurological problems in cataracts. So let's wrap all this stuff together before I move on to the specifics of where we could colonize and why they're bad places. Yep. But, okay, so you send someone into space. They're going to have weak muscle, weak joints, weak bones probably. And then maybe they'll be so weak they can't even use the controls when they get to Mars and they'll just fucking eat shit and die. Yep. Okay, there's radiation. They're going to get cancer. They're going to get cataracts. We don't even entirely know... They might just morph into a whole new Lovecraftian creature because we've never shot people up with HCE. Yep. So, like, it's a pretty bad idea, right? <laughs> There's some kinks to work out, I guess, is what yeah, I'm trying yeah, to okay. say. Or we got to, we gotta like, in space, build a spacecraft 
that can deal with all those problems, which means making artificial gravity and being thick enough plating wise that it can not worry about micro explosions and antimatter on its outer layer. Yes. yes. Okay. Th- those are the main challenges. Okay, guys. So we're going to take a break. After the break, we're going to talk. I mean, it seems like a moot point because obviously space travel is bad. But like, <laughs> let's say we do space travel. What would space life be on Mars, on Venus, and on the moon? Hi guys, this is Donatello Iglesias. It's almost the holiday season, and I'm filled with the soul-crushing memories of the family my ex-wife stole. I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm on a bridge, and I look down, and I want to jump. I just want to jump so bad, and if I don't get some swipeable sex now, I think I may really do it this time! Luckily, there's Sixes. It's a dating app for folks like me who can't compete with beautiful people. All sevens through tens can't join, providing us uggos with a level playing field. That increases my chances to swipe with the love of my life, or get a decent lay in the back of my Subaru, and thus stave off the overwhelming sense of loss. Thanksgiving is coming fast, shining a light on your vacant life. Fill that hole with Sixes. Download today. Welcome back, everybody, to Petri Dish. So now we're going to talk about some of these cool places that we can explore and expand to, set up little settlements and stuff like that. Right. The first one is, you know, the moon. And I think humans have kind of wanted to go to the moon ever since a few of us accepted that maybe Earth is round and that (laughs) the moon maybe is like a discrete object in the sky rather than just a hole through which God's heavens peers at us. Yep. The moon is a super hot topic these days. Because, you know, you have Russia and China and Japan all have these space programs. And unlike America, they still, like, believe in nation states. <laughs> and so they're, like, their attitude is, like, let's fucking get some shit going on the moon. Let's, like, build some stations there. Yes. So we got all these places trying to get a moon base going. Oh, and Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Bezos Base One. Yes. I just so, want to nuke that already. Dude. So Bezos is bringing in now the corporations to compete with the nation states. Ugh. Bezos wants to start a lunar colony. I mean, that's probably how it'll go. <laughs> I mean, people forget that the early settlement of most colonies was to joint stock companies. Yes, yeah. certainly. And Russia wants to try to get their moon colony going by 2030. Those guys are not going to do it well, though, man. I mean, I tell you what, like, the Soviet Union back in the 50s had some smart people. There's good people on both sides. But, like... I was listening to Rachel Maddow on, I think, Pots of America or something, and she was talking about her book, The Deal Between ExxonMobil and Russia, before Tillerson got into the White House. Yeah. And, like, their institutions are so corrupt and so incompetent that they could not get their own oil in, like, the oceans around Russia. They needed ExxonMobil, not just for, like, raising money. They had the money. They needed ExxonMobil for the actual expertise of drilling oil, which you think is the only fucking thing Russia knows how to do. But, like, the idea that those guys are going to send people into space and those people aren't just going to, like, die? I don't buy it. I think China and Japan's going to do that a lot sooner than Russia does successfully. Well, so, under normal circumstances, I would agree with you, but I will say one thing. Russia is one of the main ways we get people to the International Space Station. And look, those keep on hitting the wall at the top of Earth and exploding, <laughs> Sean. It, okay? How dare you? Okay, but look, Russia wants to get there by 2030, so, of course... In the good old U.S. of A., we have now decided we're going to have a lunar base by 2028. So that's currently the plan. Well, thank God Donald is president to really get that going, huh? The Artemis program, okay? Ah, sexy. And so we want to try to get some boots on the ground 
up on the moon by 2024. Why is it named Artemis? Because that's that lady that has to do with the moon. It's like the Apollo program oh, is the sun. I thought it was an It's Always Sunny reference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's because that woman, Artemis. Yeah, yeah sure. It's Always Moony on the Moon, <laughs> starring Artemis. Yes, it's because Artemis, the Greek goddess, kind of associated with the moon, whereas Apollo was associated with the sun. Right. And their brother, sister, the twins. Why are they all like brothers and sisters? <laughs> I, I couldn't remember of, if they were twins or not. Stuff. <laughs> couldn't remember if they were twins. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, but in any case, one of the aims of this, by the way, is to have a woman walk on the moon. Okay, that's for cool. the Artemis program. So you know they're shooting for this. They should make sure it's a postmenopausal lady, uh, so we can also know the science. Wow. Yeah, so we can like also check out her bone density. If, it, I'm just if, saying it's like an easy two for one, right? Like two <laughs> birds, one stone. I would be a little one worried bird, for one her. moon. I'd be worried for her health, but yeah, I mean, she she knows what she signed up for, man. Okay, <laughs> these are brave people. You know that is true, though, is that some people they're willing to sacrifice for the science, unlike me, unlike you. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's a, there's a great Frederick Douglass quote about John Brown where he's like, his sacrifice was infinite more than mine. I would live for the slave. John Brown would die for them. Mm-hmm. You're like that with science. Yeah, you yeah. would live for science, but some people would die for science. Yeah, I have mice die for my science. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but part of this plan that NASA has is before we build the lunar base is to build something called the Lunar Gateway, which will be a space station that's orbiting the moon. And they kind of envision the Lunar Gateway as kind of being ground base for these expeditions down to the lunar surface and back up and everything. So the the space station will be kind of like where you do all the logistical planning and everything like that. And then you have missions going up and down this much shorter distance. But eventually they want the Lunar Gateway to be a much larger space station where we do build spaceships cool. and stuff like that. I wonder if they're going to like, if we're just kind of entering a phase where America will pay for things again, or if we're going to like joint finance it. And if we joint finance it with some corporations, I wonder if it's going to have a space agey aesthetic or if it's going to just be like some fucking dog shit food court with like ads everywhere. Uh-huh. That's like, welcome to space, eat McDonald's, <laughs> like yeah. have some space chicken. Yeah, if you like land on the space station, everything's like zoom, 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 zoom. <laughs> or, or if it's just like, <laughs> eat more shit, yeah. eat more shit. Dude, what if it's Disneyland? That's like the one case where it's like, I would totally want to see joint financing. You go in, there's churros everywhere and like turkey legs. Disney's got to have the money. Yeah. Yeah, Disney, get on this thing. Disney, Amazon, Space Station. Disney's in space. Yeah, so one thing I will say is that NASA is working with private companies on, like, spaceship designs Mm. and stuff like that. So I do think, actually, that there are a lot of private companies that are sort of in this contractor process. Interesting. But, yeah, you know, this Lunar Gateway, they kind of envision it as a step also prior to Mars missions. Okay. So, like, this is all kind of part of this integrated idea now of, like, let's get the Lunar Gateway going, Lunar Base going, and then do some work on the Lunar Gateway and then head over to Mars. But in any case, you know, the moon is an interesting choice. Kind of one of the first things that we're going to do is send some unmanned rovers and probes and shit to a part of the moon that, like, we were interested in but we don't know a shitload about, which is the southern pole. Is this the dark side of the moon? It's at the pole, so it's kind of right on the edge between the dark side and the bright side of the moon. It's probably pretty cool looking. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's very cool looking. But one of the ideas is that at the equator of the moon, you get about two weeks of daytime and two weeks of nighttime. 
And both of those are pretty cold, but right. nighttime is very, very cold. Right. And it's long. And if a lot of the power you get is from solar power, building right. a lunar base at the equator where two weeks of the time you're not generating power. We're going to have to innovate our batteries like pretty extensively. Huh? Yeah. So that seems pretty stupid. So <laughs> instead, the southern pole of the moon is really close between the day and the night areas. So it's actually right. on just a little bit to the side of the south pole. It's almost always daytime. I wonder if little moon babies are going to like hop between them and be like, you can't see me. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Because the other thing is on the dark side of the moon, where it's kind of shielded some from solar winds, mm. might be places where you can find really big deposits of fuels like helium-3 or something oh, okay. like that for fusion. Right. right. So at the southern pole, you have this nearly constant sunlight. You can have solar panels generate a lot of energy. But... There's also craters and relatively close right. to the dark side of the moon. You can hop on your little rover, go in and get some helium-3. Helium-3, water, methane, ammonia. Like all of these things might be existing in these kind of craters that are a little bit more shielded okay. and the dark side. So all we got to do is build a space station, use that as a launch point to go explore and then eventually build some shit on the moon. Yeah, so hypothetically, we can start sending probes and rovers now. We don't need a lunar gateway. Right. But we should we should probably get both going kind of in tandem. Right. One of the ideas that they want to test with like the lunar gateway and these rovers is something called in situ resource utilization. We want to take shit from the moon to build stuff on the moon to save a lot of money. Right, exactly. And we want to know, okay, like if, if you look at the regolith, the sort of like dirt of the moon... Is that shit useful for anything? You know what right. I mean? Because it does have, you know, different elements in it. It has a shitload of oxygen, but the oxygen is kind of bound up to things like silicon and iron and aluminum and titanium. Right. If you could figure out a process for decoupling those things, we would just have oxygen on the moon. Right. We would have oxygen on the moon and all that shit that it was bound to is useful building materials. That's like iron and aluminum and titanium and shit. Right. So if we can separate both of those things out of there then we might be able to do a lot of work with those to build structures and everything. Hmm. And if we can ship those up just to the Lunar Gateway, then we can maybe build spaceships at the Lunar Gateway from moon material. That's cool. One of the things, though, is that two of the most abundant elements on Earth, carbon and nitrogen, are not very present on the moon. They're I mean, almost completely absent. We're the carbon. Yeah, exactly. We'll bring some carbon. We're bringing the carbon. But... Both of those, and especially carbon, are very useful for a lot of things like plastics and stuff like that. Right. And also a lot of different kinds of more normal fuels that we use. Are we, like, allowed to keep plastics, Dad? Like, are we... Like, <laughs> I thought plastics were, like, maybe, like, too bad for everything. Well, we're going to do that plastics episode someday. But I think one of the interesting things about plastics, maybe in the future, if we're still around, will be hyper-recyclable plastics... Mm. or plastics that are not based off of fossil fuel sources, but ones that we build ourselves. That's cool. But in any case... So uh, there's some shit we need that like we'll probably have to send to the moon no matter what. Yeah, so the moon is definitely lacking in some of the things. It's not like a full package or anything okay. like that. And another problem is that the moon dust that's kind of just like hanging around yeah. is not like dust on Earth. Okay. Uh, dust on Earth, there's atmosphere right. again. Yeah. And that atmosphere... Just from, you know, things rubbing up on each other kind of smooths dust out. Whereas on the moon, if there is dust, it's from being pulverized by being hit by, like, meteorites and shit. So we're talking, like, heavy metal dust. It's jagged. Interesting. It's jagged, and 
probably does a similar thing to your lungs that asbestos does, mm -hmm. which is if you do breathe it in, it'll probably cause a whole shitload of inflammation problems in your lungs. How do you breathe it in, though, right? Like, you're not walking around breathing on the moon, right? Right, yeah. So, here's the thing. It's usually also charged, so it's super sticky. So okay. it'll probably stick onto your spacesuit as you're walking around. Did that happen to Neil Armstrong? Yeah, and they had some lung problems on their uh, way back from the moon. But, you know, you can imagine if there's a base where you're out and then you're coming back in through this airlock system. You need to ensure somehow that you're getting this moon dust off of you because it's going to fuck you up. It's going to fuck you up in the lungs. That's pretty cool. It's a bunch of little nano pointy sticks. Can't we put someone into a charged room when they come back, like into the station? And sort of like decharge them and stuff? Or and like in the dust goes boop. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, maybe. Maybe. The, be way there's probably people. some kind of cleaning process. Like a lint roller? Sure. Yeah. Or like, you know, I don't know, yeah. fucking spray them down with water or something. But the idea is that like all of these things are things that you have to send and replenish on the moon. Right. And there's a lot of fucking dust. Uh, and it's probably also going to get on things like solar panels and shit. So you'll have to clean the solar panels a lot to keep the efficiency high. Sounds like dog shit, Sean. <laughs> um, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick because I think this makes sense. You know, there's also gravity problems, of course. The uh -huh. moon has a lot less gravity than Earth. Yep. Uh, so all the problems that we talked about earlier are problems that have to be resolved on the moon, just like they do in traveling in space in general. Yeah, maybe. All right, so th this is part of what I was talking about near the end of that segment was um, it has a sixth of the Earth's gravity. Right. We don't know if a sixth is enough to still let us keep around some bone mass and stuff like that. Because the microgravity in space is way less than that. Is a sixth good enough? Or right. is, is that still too dog shit? We're going to have to make artificial gravity or work out all the time. And there's also no atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, there's no atmosphere. And on the moon, there's pretty much never going to be an atmosphere. Right. There's nothing to keep an atmosphere around. So it's right. not like a terraforming thing, really. Yeah. Where like we can generate an atmosphere or something like that. It's just there's not enough gravity for it to stick. Right. So we're always going to be living on bubbles if we go to the moon. Couldn't we, like, make a super big electromagnetic field? Yeah, we could. And that would be make an atmosphere, right? That could help. So what that would do is sometimes the problem with an atmosphere is that solar winds come in. And just like a wind, it literally blows the atmosphere away. Right. Okay. Magnetic fields help protect from that. Right. But also, if there's not enough gravity, the gas particles will literally just float away into right. space. Right. The moon is not big enough. It doesn't have enough gravity to keep an atmosphere. I mean, the moon technically has an atmosphere, like technically, technically. Right. But, but the atmosphere is like not enough for anything for us to be able to breathe or anything like that. Okay. So moon is dog shit. <laughs> Probably don't like the moon. We're still going to do it because we're crazy. Yep. Everyone talked about Mars. Yeah. We literally sent Matt Damon to Mars. Yep. Just to get him out of our hair. Yep. How's Mars? Yeah, so Mars is about 200 times further from us than the moon. Okay, so step one, you have to go to Mars. Yeah. That sucks. It's far. Step two, it's a planet, though. It has gravity and an atmosphere, right? Yes, it does have those things. Cool. Mars has about a third of the Earth's gravity. So maybe that's bad, too. Maybe, or maybe it's fine. Again, this is the area, the amount of gravity that we don't have very much experience with. Right. So I think there's going to be a shitload of experiments in the coming years where we do kind of investigate this like, okay, what happens at 0.4 of Earth's gravity and stuff like that. Right. But it's about twice as much as there is on the moon, so that seems better. Another thing is that Mars is much more of a complete resource package. Sure. The, the carbon and the nitrogen issue you were talking about 
we're going to find that on Mars. Yeah, and still probably a pretty abundant amount of other building materials, mm. like iron and aluminum and titanium and stuff like that. Okay, sounds like a sweet gig. Let's go to Mars. Yeah, so, you know, there are resources there, and hopefully we can hop on over. But even though Mars has an atmosphere, it's a pretty thin one compared to Earth. And it doesn't really have a magnetic field that is strong enough to protect it from radiation. Does its core rotate? No, or we don't think it does. So we're fucked. (laughs) Well, in terms of radiation shielding, we would have to at first build colonies that have kind of, you know, those thick walls to protect, or build underground, or down in trenches. So there's a deep spot on Mars called Hellas Panitia. I think it's Hellas (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of the lowest point on mars and if you went from there and you drilled down 16 kilometers so deep deep down even further then that area would actually have an atmosphere kind of similar to some places on earth like like what like the top of Mount Everest. That place is dog shit, Sean. <laughs> but Should we just insert us to space? Space Sherpa. <laughs> the temperature would be a little bit nicer deep down in your little hole. Okay. And you'd be more protected from cosmic rays and stuff like that. Great. Yes. So there are some options there, okay? But there are other options. Like, for example, what if we made a magnetic field for the planet? Interesting. How do you make a magnetic field for an entire planet? So the way to make it for the entire planet is to set up Basically, there's longitude and latitude. Yes. Right? Latitude is like these concentric rings that run around the planet, like the equator and then all, you know, those fucking levels. If you have a series of concentric rings of electromagnets, where they're just running a shitload of electricity through, the running of electricity creates a magnetic field. Okay. And if you have them in this concentric pattern around sort of the planet, that will create a magnetic field for the planet. If you touch it, do you go zap? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I think if, if you reached into the actual charge point, it, this would be in cables. And in fact, if we were doing this and we just had a shitload of money and resources and time, right. that could actually be like the planetary energy grid. Interesting. That could actually be like where we put all of our power, where we draw all of our power from. Right. It's just the rest of the time it's distributed around these rings. This is like a giant centrally planned community we got right here. Right, yeah. It's not so easy to pull off. I mean, clearly yeah. looking at Earth, it's not it's like... you rock hard, you socialist, though. <laughs> we don't have a great track record of pulling off things like this, but it is hypothetically possible. The other option is to go into outer space at a point called a Lagrange point. And a Lagrange point is basically in between any two objects in space. There is a third point called a Lagrange point that stays the same distance between those guys. That makes sense. Technically, it's it's more than just one point. There's several Lagrange points. Uh, I think five. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so between Mars and the Sun, there are Lagrange points. We could set up an electromagnet in outer space and then try to block some of the solar wind way out. Kind of set up interference away from Mars. We're disrupting the solar system. (laughs) Intense. Yeah, but I will say I like the Mars latitude rings a little bit better because the electromagnetic field around the planet could help us with several things yeah it's kind of useful in general really yeah and i think it'll also create shielding for galactic cosmic rays which are coming from all sorts of directions right so i kind of like that idea a little bit better okay so i mean what i'm hearing is mars is mostly dog shit too but like (laughs) you know if you went real deep you're like living on everest yeah, so a mixed bag. Mars has water, right. right? So we can melt it. 
Mars has some of the components of an atmosphere. It's just too cold and there's too much solar wind, so it can't really keep atmosphere. And so theoretically, if we took care of the solar wind problem, we might actually be able to create an atmosphere on Mars. You could terraform uh, Mars in a way that the moon you could never truly terraform. Right. Right. Okay. So rough bananas. Do we have a better option? So that's a good question. There are some people out there who actually suggest that Venus is a better option than Mars. Right, because Venus would be like Star Wars Episode Five, right? It would be like Vespin, Vispin, Vispin. Oh, yeah, 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 with the cloud colonies and shit. Yeah, the cloud colony. Yes, so when it comes to Venus, on one hand, Venus is closer to us than Mars. How much closer? What's, uh, the, what's the drive there? <laughs> Mars takes eight months, maybe, to get there one way. How about Venus? Venus has a kind of crazier orbit compared to Earth, but at its shortest distance, I think it would take more like six months or something like that. Doesn't sound that much closer. (laughs) Well, any extra month in space can be pretty fucking devastating to people and also fuel-wise, right? Because people should not be in space. (laughs) But okay, yeah. So it's a little bit closer. That's cool. And it's also, it's gravity's closer to Earth. Yeah. So we would have a lot less problems with osteoporosis or whatever yeah venus has a gravity almost exactly the same as earth's it's like it's 90 percent of earth's gravity and i'm even seeing it has an atmosphere so (laughs) we would not be getting uh irradiated right yeah it's got plenty of atmosphere going on don't need to worry about that let's go so the atmosphere is actually one of the main issues it has a very very thick carbon dioxide and sulfuric acid sort of uh atmosphere so the acid part's not great Okay, yeah. And otherwise, it's basically under a greenhouse gas situation that is similar to the process that's happening on Earth right now. Right, I was about to say, it's basically what, like, we're turning the planet into, is what Venus already is. Right, and so it has... makes it presumably kind of hot. Yeah, it's a toasty 840 degrees Fahrenheit. I see you say here that that's the exact right temperature for a brick oven pizza. It's pretty close. It's going to really revolutionize pizza making. You just like put the pizza outside (laughs) and then bring it out and bring it back in 90 seconds. Yeah, so long as you have a place to bring it back into, it works out pretty well. As opposed to just being like a pizza man lost in space. (laughs) Just like, oh man, I just got all these unmade pizzas. (laughs) No one to eat them with me. Yeah. Or or a station (laughs) where I can be alive still. So temperature is not the only issue with this. Having that much atmosphere means the pressure is also super intense okay. on Venus. Right. Because there's like all the accumulated pressure of the gases that are in the atmosphere pressing down on whatever is in there. Right. It's all the weight of all of that gas. And it's so much weight, it's kind of like being a kilometer deep in the ocean, which right. is the uh, bathypelagic zone we talked about on our extremophile episode. That's the place where there's no light anymore. Uh, and if I remember correctly, that zone is not good. For anyone besides James Cameron. <laughs> so uh, he just swims around down there. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what he did, but he's just like, fine. He might be from Venus. <laughs> um, so there's kind of these two big options when it comes to trying to live on Venus. One of them is to float above the clouds, right? So if the clouds are this big fucking issue and under the clouds it sucks, then why not just be above them? How do you do that, though? So you know how helium and hydrogen balloons float in our atmosphere? Yes. Our atmosphere floats on Venus. Oh, okay. That's cool. So if we had a balloon filled with mostly nitrogen and some oxygen and shit like that, we would float above the clouds of Venus. But I feel like from like Hindenburg stuff, the being on a floaty balloon is kind of scary. You know, like don't those things blow up sometimes? <laughs> well, that was because hydrogen can explode. 
Whereas, yeah. whereas nitrogen and oxygen are not quite so explosive. But what if just like some rock was in the atmosphere and went boop, right into the balloon and the balloon one that like fucked the balloon? Yeah. And then like you know, fucks the whole colony? So, so, I mean, honestly, if people were doing this whole situation, I would imagine that they would put some kind of shield above the balloon. Try to keep things nice. Well, now we need a shield. Yeah, well. <laughs> Fuck Venus. We're making up a lot of stuff right now, right? Okay, right, right. It's kind of um, like with tax plans. At a certain number of trillions, yeah. it's just kind of like an imaginary concept. You just got to make it up. Yeah. Um, There's going to be shields. Yeah, but if we were about 31 miles above the surface of Venus, which is pretty high, that's about six times higher than commercial air flights on Earth. But if we were floating at that height... The temperature outside would be 180 degrees Fahrenheit, which is hot, but it's not boiling. That's nice. Okay, good. And if we actually went a little bit higher, a couple miles higher, it would be about 80 degrees Fahrenheit outside. Okay. So that's not bad. The pressure would be very similar to the pressure on Earth's surface, and there would still be enough atmosphere above us to protect us mostly from cosmic rays and radiation. So it would actually be a pretty nice place to be. Uh, of course, you'd be living on a colony where you can't walk outside because outside is air. Right. Right? Like, you'd, you'd fall into the clouds. So that's not so much fun. Right. And what are you supposed to do there? Mining might be difficult because how are you supposed to go to the surface? I was about to say, it sounds like kind of a, a solution looking for a problem, right? It's, it's Right. It's, Unless it's like the Lunar Gateway where it's a base of operations to do more intense terraforming. Right. And so the thing with that is, in a lot of the ways that we're trying to figure out how to deal with climate change here, especially some of the more crazy geoengineering ways, yeah, those lessons might be directly applicable to Venus. For example, things like solar shades. Right. Or putting aerosols up into the higher atmosphere to reduce the amount of sunlight coming right. in. Or taking all of that carbon dioxide and fixing it into a solid form. Yeah. These things that we're like trying to figure out right now for Earth on a much, much larger scale, might be the kinds of things that would turn Venus into a very different kind of planet. If you seeded the atmosphere in Venus, would that kind of fuck up your whole floaty city situation? Yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, maybe. You know, it, it's not entirely it's clear. It's all a little speculative. It's possible that if you did put these aerosols up there and there was less sunlight, there was less heat, more of the carbon dioxide collapsed into solid form, then you might just sink a little bit in your balloon. Right. But you might kind of sink in a matching level of pressure and temperature. Right. Pretty speculative. <laughs> right, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's cool. So those are our three kind of main celestial objects that we could be really realistically living on. No one's talking about Europa yet because there's like, that's a while away. Yeah, yes. I stuck to mainly the inner solar system. So on this right. side of the asteroid Once you got to go past, yeah, the asteroid belt, it's like, well. Yeah, because I mean, for later. the trips start to be really, really long. Right. We need to have a pretty good idea of how we're doing all that stuff. There are some interesting potential other ideas. Like there are different Lagrange points, like Earth-Sun Lagrange points. Yeah. Where that object in that Lagrange point would stay in the same position compared to the Earth and the Sun. And in one of those Lagrange points, there seems to be maybe an asteroid that's kind of trapped there. Oh, that's cool. So, like, maybe we could set up a colony on that asteroid and use that as, like, an experimental, like, figuring out how to mine asteroids and stuff. It's going to be hysterical when we go there and there's just, like, this little French boy who lives there. <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been here? That's where Prince has been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because all this stuff sounds to me like 
clearly utterly batshit and obviously pretty silly and sounds like a bad time but i know people who very much would love to go to mars and be part of a colony on mars and you know if you think about early exploration like european exploration you sailed for a long time on a very hostile ocean you didn't have to worry about radiation but you had to worry about scurvy fucking most of you died from malaria we wouldn't have malaria problems on the moon yeah like humans have surmounted kind of in many ways similar at least challenges that are similar in how difficult they were with very 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 high mortality rates and we still did it and you know in a certain sense i don't know how much money space exploration is worth but i'll say this much as a fraction of how much money we spend on a lot of other things i don't think are worthwhile yeah space exploration gets very little money so the money argument for like is this worth it I would say is the least strong argument out there. Right. And then beyond that being like, don't the human beings have something better to do with their brains or time or bodies than be flung out into outer space? I don't know. Uh, I think at the end of the day... If you're right and there is no God and we're really just worthless sacks of organs, (laughs) then like... Who's to say what endeavor is really <laughs> worth more than anything else, right? Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, maybe God wants us to colonize Mars or There's something that like too. That. Yeah. Right? All the rationalizations for going into space, I think, really are just rationalizations. The fact of the matter is that people want to go places. I think humans tend to imagine frontiers and then tend to go and, you know, fuck them. And whether it's money or not, we'll go, NASA will pave the way to check something out, and then a company will rationalize the reason you could make money doing it after that investment's been laid because of the human imagination wanting to go there. Yeah, one of the things I think is really interesting is that there are very discrete groups of people whose rationales are very different. There are some people like Virgin Galactic... Branson, yeah. and maybe Bezos. Well, he just wants to have sex in space. Right. Not Bezos. I Richard mean, th- Branson, though. There are some people who, like, literally, they're just like, space sounds pretty sexy to me. Yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> sexy, sexy space. Right. Uh, and then there's other people. I was reading a manifesto of a group that was saying, we should only be focused on asteroid mining. Because that's the only way to make money out of outer space. And making money is the only way that space stuff will happen. And so, like, they're entirely focused on the economic argument, which I don't buy. But, I mean, this is a legitimate group of people. I mean, it's certainly useful to build the reasons there. Sometimes when people pitch making a movie or a TV show, they pitch it in terms of money. Yeah. And sometimes they do make money. But the fact of the matter is that you could take the same amount of money you make and invest it, like, in a mutual fund, and you would make more money most of the time. Yeah. Right? Certainly, it would accrue value over the long run. The fact of the matter is people want to go to space. Yeah. Uh, At least enough people do that we're probably going to just, I mean, we're going to do it, really. And the money will emerge out of the human interest in this new frontier. Yeah, so I think I think this stuff's going to happen. Would you go to space? No, I don't think so. Well, we have a lot of vested interests in Earth. Yeah, and I'm kind of busy. I don't yeah. know. It's like, it, it'd be hard to, like, find the time to do all the stuff. But you could maybe do some cool cancer immunology research on the moon, right? Probably yeah, I, a, I guess I could try to cure myself of whatever cancer I get from being on the moon. But that's yeah. like a good movie. <laughs> You'll finally be worthy of a dramatic subject, John. I think we're going to keep trying to get out there. Yeah. It'll happen. Yeah. If we don't die first. Yeah. From, like, climate change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm, guys. We got to thank Stacy Song, our sound lord. Brian Allen, uh, our art man. Yeah, and go ahead and tweet at us at Dish Podcast on Twitter. 
or send us an email at petridishpod at gmail.com. Rate us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform so that, I guess, hypothetically, that could make more people listen to us or some kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And to our one listener in India, (laughs) hello. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, so, uh, ich benign science. Ich benign science. Da 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 da